Yunnan people are not interested in these things, Li Mengzi began to tell me. He was referring to organics and other ecologically certified foods. Maybe Shanghai people and Beijing people and foreigners are attached to these things, but not here. Here, everything we eat is ecological, especially in this season, with all the wild flowers, wild vegetables, wild mushrooms. They're all ecological. My research assistant uh, Miao Yun and I were interviewing Li Mengzi inside a quiet Kunming tea house on a July morning in 2009. I had just introduced myself, telling him that I was doing research on ecological foods in Kunming, and that I wanted to speak to him to learn more about Dian cuisine, Dian Cai, a term used to refer to the cuisine of Yunnan in southwest China and to that of its provincial capital, Kunming. Li is a prolific food journalist at one of Kunming's major dailies and the author of the first book-length guide to the city's restaurants, which came out in 2004. He's also a restaurateur and deputy secretary of the Yunnan Province Culinary Trade Association, a non-governmental association that enjoys clo close ties with the provincial government's Department of Commerce. Li went on to explain that it's not just the wild foods that are ecological in Yunnan. Comparing the vegetables and meats from Yunnan to those of neighboring Sichuan, Li alleged that foods produced in Yunnan are more natural, not least because he claimed Yunnan farmers cannot not afford chemical fertilizer. Similarly, he argued that Sichuan cooks destroy wild mushrooms by adding MSG to them, and that in Chengdu, the Sichuan capital, they're now using all kinds of industrially produced chemical flavorings. By contrast, he maintained, cooks in Yunnan are too natural, ziran, backward, luohou, and rustic, tu, to use those kinds of to use such flavor enhancers. Turning to Kunming's restaurant scene, he told us how Cantonese seafood had been popular in the 80s and 90s, followed by the spicy foods of Sichuan and Funan and especially Sichuan hot pot in the early 2000s. But now, he explained, people have realized that hot pot is bad for your health. The era of Dian cuisine has arrived, he proudly exclaimed. Li argued that this was not only the case in Kunming, but that Dian cuisine was now also becoming popular in Shanghai and Beijing. He informed us that the Yunnan Province Culinary Trade Association were involved in a recent provincial back government-backed campaign to market Dian cuisine, both in Yunnan and in the national capital, and that this campaign stressed that Dian cuisine was ecological, natural, and healthy. Now, I had not originally thought that issues surrounding the definition of regional cuisine would really be of much significance in my current research project. The project, as Inge, as Inge has told us, um, explores the recent emergence in Kunming of social activism, markets, and networks promoting organic and other ecological foods. I did the fieldwork over a series of trips between 2006 and 2009, amounting to about four months in total. While I was interested in the outset in exploring ecological foods in relation to Kunminger's ideas about dietary health and environment, I had not anticipated the extent to which concepts of ecological foods, natural foods, and green foods had entered into everyday discussions about food safety, health, and taste 
not just among the new middle class, but also in marketplaces and homes in the city's lower-income neighborhoods. And I had certainly not anticipated that these concepts would be so explicitly articulated with promotions of Yunnan or Kuomintang cuisine. Now, this unexpected convergence between ecological and regional cuisine, ecological foods and regional cuisine, has given me a reason to return to issues um, I'd explored in my PhD research in 1999 and 2000 on restaurants and tea houses in Guangzhou, the provincial capital of Guangdong in southeast China. That research had looked at the ways in which cooks, restaurateurs, and customers in the post-Mao era were redefining Cantonese cuisine. In Guangzhou, I encountered several versions of what Cantonese cuisine was or should be, including different ideas of its geographical boundaries, its characteristics, its significance vis-a-vis -vis other cuisines, and the role of Guangzhou chefs um, in shaping it. However, I never came across anyone who questioned the existence of Cantonese cuisine itself. To do so appeared to have been unthinkable. Cantonese cuisine was an important category through which Cantonese speakers and other residents in Guangzhou made sense of their worlds. Kuiming was strikingly different in this respect. Not only did I encounter different versions of what typified Dian cuisine, but a number of people questioned its very legitimacy as a concept. While Kunmingers often express pride in their local foodways, my questions about Dian cuisine also frequently provoked ambivalent, skeptical, or, crit or critical responses. Well aware of the state-led promotions of Dian cuisine, some even argued that the whole notion was simply invented for the sake of tourists and other outsiders. For example, one taxi driver, a native of Kunming, responded when I asked him what the food was like in Kunming. Cross the bridge noodles. He then kind of paused. Actually, it's for outsiders. We don't think there's anything special about them. What are typical Dian foods, then, I asked. Actually, there's no such thing as Dian cuisine. We just take some dishes that outsiders like and call it Dian cuisine. But it's not a real cuisine, like in Sichuan, with their numbing and hot flavors. Ma la wei. Now, in this paper, I attempt to make some sense of these sometimes radically different approaches to Dian cuisine. I'm interested in what cuisines might tell us about notions and experiences of locality in cities, particularly in emerging economies that are being rapidly transformed by integration into transnational markets and by projects of urban modernization. I approach this through an exploration of the relationship between, on the one hand, projects organized by political and economic elites aimed at celebrating and promoting regional culture, and on the other hand, more popular or everyday cultural practices, perceptions, and identifications. Writing on national cuisine in Belize, Richard Wilk makes a useful distinction between cuisine as a set of self-conscious public representations and performances, and cuisine as daily practices of selecting, cooking, and eating food. Wilk's distinction is a useful one, and I'll follow it here and try to build on it a bit. He makes the important point that the performed and the more lived aspects of cuisine need to be understood in terms of an ongoing and productive relationship that neither is more authentic or real than the other. That said, an important dimension of this relationship is, I think, constituted by the judgments that people make about the truthfulness of representations about their foods. Public celebrations of local foods may not always be convincing to those whose foods are being celebrated. And here I want to consider why projects to celebrate local foodways may fail 
or be only partially successful in gaining recognition from locals themselves. Now, the um, Dien Cuisine campaign mentioned by Lee was officially launched in May 2009 by none other than the governor of Yunnan province, uh, Qin Guangrong, and it received wide coverage in the, Guan, in the Kunming media throughout the spring and summer of that year. According to one report, the campaign sought to encourage innovation in Dien Cuisine and create a Dien Cuisine trademark in order to spur on the development of the catering trade inside the province, increase the influence of Yunnan cuisine in Beijing, Shanghai, and Southeast Asia, and to attract more visitors to the province. This was, in fact, the latest in a series of Dien Cuisine campaigns that began in the mid-90s, and these, in turn, built to a certain extent on earlier state-led, state-led attempts to classify and standardize Yunnan cooking, part of what I've called uh, China's socialist culinary project, which in fact began in the mid-1950s. A variety of actors um, have taken part in the campaigns since the 1990s, which is what I'm focused on here. These include provincial and municipal level government offices, trade organizations, restaurants, hotels, food industry businesses, tour operators, and local scholars and publishing houses. There's been a proliferation of cookbooks, scholarly works, and popular books on Yunnanese foods. Dien-style cooking competitions and exhibitions have been held in the provincial capital. Kunming has also seen the emergence of restaurants and restaurant chains presenting or representing themselves as purveyors of Dien cuisine. Uh, now, restaurateurs, many of them not necessarily Yunnanese, in fact, many of them Citronese, have been opening up Dien-style establishments um, in coastal cities like Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou. And here you can even see a little tour group here. This is old, old Dien flavor. Right? The um, Dien cuisine campaigns need, of course, to be situated in a wider political economic context. Um, since the 90s, market-oriented reforms, and especially China's increasing integration with international markets, have given rise to a competition between and within China's provinces to attract foreign investment and domestic and foreign tourists. Yunnan itself is a poor, landlocked province, heavily reliant on tobacco and copper mining. Since the 90s, provincial leaders, increasingly with support from the central government's call to open up the West, have attempted to, to diversify the economy. The development of tourism and export horticulture have been important in these attempts, as has the transformation of the provincial capital into a hub of regional and transnational trade and investment, linking China with Southeast Asia. In fact, beginning in the run-up to Kunming's hosting of a major international horticultural exposition in 1999, the city has been virtually rebuilt from scratch. Once a... Um, Rather quaint, slow-paced town with low buildings and winding alleys, downtown Kunming now boasts broad avenues, high-rise buildings, and shopping centers replete with international brands, multinational supermarkets, and fast food chains, while urban forms, including garden-style residential complexes for the new middle class, have rapidly expanded into the surrounding countryside. Now, according to the geographer Tim Oakes, the promotion of regional cultures has been an important part of provincial strategies to create brands for their provinces that will attract both investors and tourists. Food has played an important part in leaders' attempt, attempts to define or invent distinctive regional cultures 
including in provinces which have historically not been noted for their cuisines. In the inland provinces, which have fallen behind the rapidly developing coastal areas and have been branded as backward and underdeveloped, building up regional cultures and economies has, according to Oakes, been driven by the desire to create provincial self-esteem. Similarly, the anthropologist Li Zhang has argued that the speedy rebuilding of Kunming has been motivated by local leaders' desires to create a modern-looking city in response to their anxieties about lagging behind the coastal cities in economic development and modernization. So although discussions of regional cuisine have been going on in China, at least since the southern Song dynasty, 12th, 13th centuries, the recent promotions of regional cuisines are also part of placemaking strategies shaped by the current phase of globalization, during which, as people like Richard Wilk and Sami Zubaida have pointed out, every nation and increasingly every region, province, and town are expected to have their own distinctive cuisine. Promotions of Tian cuisine thus involve nothing less than a reimagination of Yunnan's relationship with the centers of Chinese economic and political power. Now, this is not an easy task. The view of Yunnan as a peripheral backwater without any noteworthy culinary culture is not simply a product of unequal rates of economic growth in the post-Mao era, but of a long-standing perception of the province as a remote, wild, and impoverished back, uh, borderland region with large non-hand populations whose food practices have often been considered too different from those of the Han Chinese to be considered cuisines at all. Moreover, the diversity of peoples and ecologies in Yunnan has given rise to a range of quite distinctive practices of food production and consumption, consumption ranging, ranging from the tsampa, roasted barley, and tea with yaks butter in the Tibetan-influenced highlands of the Northwest, to the sticky rice, sour hot flavorings, and raw salads of green papaya among Thai speakers and others in the subtropical southwest, to the often subtly flavored tofu, green vegetable soups, and freshwater fish of the south, to the numbing and hot mala flavors and cured pork products of the northeast, a region which, which people up there themselves refer to as Sanjuan Ban, the three and a half rivers, in other words, nearly Sichuan, which Sichuan literally means the four rivers. Um, this diversity makes it quite difficult to imagine Yunnan's foodways as integrated. Thus, while few would argue with the notion that Yunnan, like other places, has a variety of regional flavors, or feng wei, it's quite a different matter to claim that Yunnan has a cai shi, the modern term for a regional cuisine, meaning a culinary system, quite literally, so which implies that not only the existence of representative, or what Mintz calls signature foods, but also some degree of coherence of ingredients, flavors, and cooking methods. The Dien Cuisine campaigns have sought to use these diversities to their advantage, to create a kind of coherence through diversity. The large areas of untilled land in this mountainous province were once signs of its barbarity and later backwardness, these are now reinterpreted as material and symbolic resources in the form of biodiversity, seen especially in the diversity of mushrooms and other non-timber forest products. Similarly, whereas um, large non-hand populations in fact continue to signify the need for civilizing help from the center, now the so-called minority nationalities are also used to market Yunnan as exotic or strange. Li Lin, 
a restaurateur and one-time deputy chairman of Yunnan Province's official cooking association, claims that Dien Cuisine's comparative advantage vis-à-vis other cuisines lies in the varied cultures of its many minority nationalities. Lee writes this in a preface to a book from 2004 entitled Illustrated Compendium of Strange Eating in Yunnan. The, the book is comprised of 55 illustrated entries on oddities, such as ant eggs, deep-fried cow skins, rice steamed in pineapple or bamboo, fried locusts, and raw pig skins. And many of these foods are identified in the book with a particular minority nationality. Furthermore, in the campaign, the alleged primitiveness of the minority nationalities is used as further evidence of the ecological or natural essence of Dien Cuisine. In his keynote speech for the launch of the 2009 campaign, Governor Chin claims that the minority nationalities' cooking techniques involving the use, I quote here, of bamboo, earthenware, wood, leaves, and other natural materials, although simple, are well suited to the environment and work with nature, being full of natural beauty and the flavors of nature. Further, like our friend Limonza, the governor argues in his speech that the ecology of Dien Cuisine is to be found in its flavorings, cooking styles, and its choice of ingredients, making it a modern and timely cuisine precisely by virtue of its apparent simplicity and closeness to nature. Dien Cuisine is fresh, tender, clear, and fragrant, sour and hot in moderation. It seeks to preserve original juices and flavors, and it is rich in plant-based ingredients, close to nature, green, healthy, nutritious, and fashionable. These characteristics make Dien Cuisine perfectly suited to the worldwide trend for green foods and ecological foods, and it is being adored by more and more people. Now, not all promoters of Yunnan foodways were in agreement about what its characteristics were or should be. For example, a tension between the celebration of regional, supposedly ecological ingredients, and the desire among high-level chefs and restaurants to distinguish themselves through the use of imported ingredients and techniques was quite apparent in a full-page newspaper report of a Dian Cuisine exhibition in Beijing where a display of salmon sashimi was critiqued by a food reporter who argued that this is completely unnecessary, he wrote. It would be much better to promote more ecological Yunnese foods. Another tension had to do with the role of, of Kunming in, in Dien cuisine. Kunming was often simply assumed to be representative of, of Yunnan's cuisine by virtue of being the provincial capital. The campaigns were in many ways Kunming-centered, involving officials, Business, business people and academics based there. And as Ian Anderson points out, Chinese regional cuisines have historically often been represented by elite cooking styles of major urban centers. The word Dien is also significant. It's the name of the freshwater lake, I believe the fifth largest in China, on whose northern shores Kunming is situated, and the term can be used to refer then either to Kunming or to Yunnan. Some do, however, uh, some promoters do make an explicit argument that Kunming's role as a centralizing force in the province's cuisine has emerged historically over time. Some contest this, though. Uh, Jin Zichang, a very well-known food scholar um, and an active promoter of Yunnan foods, makes the case that the Kunming area is simply one of five distinctive culinary regions in the province, and that is that it's much more accurate to speak of Yunnan food or Yunnan food culture than of Dien cuisine. 
Now, this tension between regional cuisine as a unified thing and as a locally specific, as locally specific food habits was um, even more apparent in the perceptions and practices of Kunmingers who were not um, particularly involved in the Dien cuisine campaigns. And I turn now to some of these. In April of 2009, a few months before interviewing Li Mengzi, Miao Yin, my research assistant, and I were invited to enjoy an evening meal in the home of teacher Xiao, teacher Chen, and their live-in daughter Xiao Han. Xiao, Xiao Han was a journalist in her 30s and a long-standing friend of Miao Yin's. I had met her the previous summer and had interviewed her about her food habits. As we arrived, Xiao Han introduced her parents, both of them retired middle school teachers. Xiao Han described her 70-year-old father and her 60-year-old mother as old Kunmingers, La Kunming. Xiao Han proudly pointed out that her father, teacher Xiao's family, had been living in the city for three generations, explaining that this was unusual as Kunming is a city of immigrants. Xiao Han had previously described her father as an expert on Kunming food, on Kunming and its food, and we had specifically been invited that evening to meet him and to eat a real Kunming-style meal. Teacher Xiao and his daughter had cooked the food, and we did not begin to eat until all the dishes had been laid out on the table. In total, they served uh, eight cooked dishes. Let's see if I can point this thing. Um, steamed pot chicken, qi guji, stewed aubergine, there. Um, Stir-fried cabbage, milk cakes steamed with ham, rubing zheng huotui, or huojia rubing, steamed pork belly on pickled greens, chen zhang rou, eight treasure rice pudding, dry-fried potato strips, and frogs holding stone slates, qinghua bao shi ban. These were broad beans, uh, these, this, that's this dish here. These are broad beans um, sautéed with diced uh, milk cake and some diced carrots, but obviously it's the milk cake and, and, and broad bean combination which gives uh, the dish its name. Uh, they also brought out two small bowls of pickles, one of fermented tofu, lofu, this over here, and one of pickled chai flowers, jiu sai hua, can't see that, fortunately. Um, now, much can be said about the composition of this fantastic meal in terms of the balanced combinations of different cooking methods, textures, flavors, colors, and heating and cooling properties of the dishes. Here, I want to focus on how the meal was constructed to represent Kunming cooking. First, the number of hot dishes served may have been relevant. Eight is not only an auspicious number, but also the number of dishes historically served at banquets in the Kunming region known as Ba Da Wan, the eight big bowls, although in the past, the, all of these dishes would have included pork. Um, further, several of the dishes were commonly found in Yunnan cook, cookbooks, on the menus of Dian-style restaurants, or in the lists of representative Dian foods put together by local scholars. These included steam pot chicken, milk cake steamed with ham, steamed pork belly on pickled greens, broad bean dishes, <clears throat> and pickled uh, tofu. Uh, these dishes reflected several of the characteristics associated with Dian cuisine by its official promoters, not least the notion that Dian cuisine, especially in Kunming, 
had emerged through the combination of ingredients and cooking styles from around the province, and with influences from the cooking of minority nationalities. Steam pot chicken, you see, normally it wouldn't really be served on the table like that, but they insisted that I, that I take a proper photograph of the, of, the, um, of the meal. But usually you'd serve the soup in bowls, it usually keep that in the kitchen. But anyhow... Um, Uh, steam pot chicken uh, originated in Tianshui, in the south of Yunnan, where clean clay, clay steam pots have been produced since the 18th century. According to several accounts, the dish did not arrive in Kunming until 1947, when it was introduced there by a restaurateur from Tianshui. The ingredients, small pieces of chicken, always on the bone, ginger, Chinese cardamom, ham, little pieces of ham, and often goji berries, or Chinese wolf berries, or sometimes dried jujubes, that's with, those are goji berries, of course, um, are put inside the pot, usually without any liquid, although some people cheat. Um, the pot is covered and then placed in another pot of, of boiling water. The result, after a couple of hours, is a clear, densely flavored broth. Often the, co- the soup is cooked with tianma, or sanchi roots, or served with powdered sanchi flowers on the side. These are all uh, tianma and sanchi, are medicinal herbs, which also add further regional Yunnan flavors to the dish. Sanxi is famously a product of Wenshan in the southeast of the province, while the best, the best Tianma is said to be from Zhaotong in the far northeast of, the, of Yunnan province. Another example of influences from other regions in Yunnan is the use here in two dishes of rubing, right, milk cakes. Um, dairy products are quite unusual in, China, in Chinese cooking. The milk cakes people use in Kunming are often produced in uh, Shilin, uh, E Nationality Autonomous County, which is about 100 kilometers southwest of Kunming. Um, and this county was formerly, actually, officially called Lunan, and it's still referred to that by, by that name in, in Kunming. Um, it's allegedly a special product of the Sani people, officially classed as a subgroup of the E, who make it exclusively from goat's milk. In the dish... In this dish, milk cakes in, in milk cakes steamed with ham, the regional this regional minor, regional and national, minority nationality speci- specialty is combined with a famous product from the far northeast of the province, namely ham from Xuanwei, which is a kind of nationally famous product. Um, and this product is uh, Xuanwei ham is used by Kunmingers in a number of preparations. Um, in the other dish made with milk cakes, frogs holding stone slates. Milk cakes were then combined with broad beans, and broad beans were considered to be an important springtime produce in the Kunming area. Uh, versions of the dish, steamed, be- steamed pork belly on pickled greens, can actually be found throughout southern China, um, but in Kunming it's made local by virtue of its kind of distinctive name, a thousand layer pork, Tianzhang Rou, that's this dish here. Um, now, dishes like milk cakes steamed with ham and steamed pot chicken were made for special occasions and usually would not be served together um, with things like that, with pickled foods, everyday items which were meant to help eaters down their rice or rice porridge. The Xiao Chen's uh, uh, told me that they were serving these pickled, known collectively as xian cai, uh, salty vegetables or salty foods, because they were typical Kunming foods that they wanted me to try out. Uh, teacher Chen told me how important fermented tofu, called lufu in the local dialect, was to Kunmingers, telling me that when Kunmingers went away, they would always take jars of lufu in order not to, fake, not to feel homesick. 
She used to ferment, she used to ferment lufu herself at home, but now she bought hers and said that most people in the city now do the same. She said the best lufu was from Lunan, um, the same place that produced milk cakes. Teacher Chen gave me a jar of lufu from Lunan to take back to England. Unfortunately, it was taken by security guards at the airport. Um, scanning my bag, one of them asked in the Kunming dialect, you've got xian cai, haven't you? I stood there looking pretty stupid, and his colleague said, he doesn't understand. And the first guard replied, he's got xian cai, he understands all right. Um, now, in their creation of a representative meal for a foreign visitor, the Xiaochen household were thus participating in the construction of a Dian cuisine. Now, while this household I self-identified as Kunmingers to a much greater extent or to a greater extent than most of my acquaintances, a number of people I knew not only enjoyed, but also expressed pride in what they described as their own local foods. Many of these foods were highly seasonal. Some of the dishes made with broad beans in the spring would be made with fresh soybeans, maodou, later on in, later in the summer and early autumn. These were also, maodou, um, fresh soybeans, were also ground into a kind of paste. Wildflowers and wild plants, such as ferns, in the, in the northeast of the U.S. we call them fiddleheads, uh, were popular in the, similar, well, quite similar to fiddleheads, were popular in the summer. In, in, in Kunming, they were called long zhua cai, dragon claw vegetable. Um, nothing could compete with mushrooms, however, junzi. Uh, during the rainy summer months, during the rainy summer months, that's um, Sichuan peppercorn, by the way. Um, during the, Citron, during the um, uh, rainy summer months, there was something of a mushroom frenzy as people tried to consume particular mushrooms before they went out of season. Now, other foods that were both enjoyed and celebrated were street foods, such as erkuai and erkuai. Uh, these are, 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 are boiled rice, rice pounded into cakes, which can then be grilled and eaten like a flatbread with sweet or savory sauces, or cut into pieces and simmered like a kind of noodle in a sweet and spicy sauce. Um, the self-exoticizing ditty, Yunnan Shu Ba Guai Ba Ba Jiao Er Kuai, one of the 18 strange things of Yunnan, flatbreads are called cakes, was written on some Er Kuai vendor's carts. Another hugely popular snack food eaten um, as a morning snack in particular, or sometimes at other times of the day, were um, rice noodles, mi xian. These could be prepared in a variety of ways, um, and snack shops often specialized in a particular style, such as small wok rice noodles, which were simmered individually for diners and small woks, um, or douhua mi xian, which were rice noodles served in a sweet sauce with dofu custard, and that's what this place specializes in, or uh, yang rou mi xian, served in goat, uh, in a goat meat broth with slivers of goat meat. And in the summer, they could also be eaten cold. You could eat cold mi xian. Kuming, had a, Kuming then clearly had a, a cuisine in Sidney Mintz's sense of there being a range of locally and regionally produced foods which people frequently ate, talked about, and cared about. Clearly, these foods were also performed as a cuisine with representative dishes that could stand for the place. Uh, visitors arriving in the summertime were likely to be taken to a mushroom banquet, uh, for example, along the Mushroom Street south of the city center. Um, now this is a, a Yunnan Green Foods 
a, a restaurant that advertised that they have uh, that they have uh, green food delicacies, and inside those green foods are in fact mushrooms. This is along Mushroom Street, um, and despite the often heard claim that cross the bridge rice noodles. Um, a dish which involves diners themselves placing thinly cut raw ingredients and noodles into steaming oily, hot oily broth, uh, despite the claim that these were tourist foods, out-of-town visitors were often taken to places specializing in the dish by Kunmingers. Um, many Kunming, m- many middle-class Kunming families I knew spoke quite highly of a restaurant chain called Fujiao Lo, Fujiao, the Fujiao House, which was um, one of these upmarket, Dian-style, Dian, uh, uh, self-styled Dien cuisine establishments. Um, many would take um, visitors there for a taste of real Dien food. Inevitably, steamed pot chicken, milk cakes, and Xuanwei ham would be served at these meals. And Fujiao Fujiao the Fujiao House, takes its name from the unofficial name of Kunming's first steamed pot chicken uh, restaurant from 1947, which had once been situated on Fujiao Street. Now, why was it then, considering all of this, that when I asked people about whether there was a Dien cuisine, I frequently got ambiguous or negative responses. One important reason for this, I believe, has to do with Xiaohan's claim, when she was introducing her parents, that Kunming was a city of immigrants, a view of the city that was widespread and often mentioned in the same breath as the claim that the city was a frontier or borderland city. Many of the families I interviewed spoke about their household food and tastes as having been shaped by their origins, in some cases several generations ago, in places like Sichuan or Jiangsu province, or in Zhaotong or Dali in the province of Yunnan itself. So while Master Liu, a head chef in a workplace dining hall, argued and claimed to me that the characteristic flavor of Kunming food was neutral, zhonghe, since over time it had blended and neutralized the characteristic flavors of settlers from all over China and from around the province, many others, other people variously described Kunming foods as light, rich, sweet, spicy, sour and spicy, and salty. So I've got the whole spectrum there. Um, similarly, the various prepared foods for which Kunming was known, including its street foods, were among Kunmingers, in fact, quite often not associated with Kunming, but with their places of origin. So, small wok rice noodles, uh, were seen to be a specialty of Yixi in southern Yunnan, and cross-the-bridge rice noodles a specialty of, of Mengzi, also in southern Yunnan. Yiliang roast duck, a Hui Muslim specialty of Yiliang, and so on and so on. Auntie Wang was a retired preschool teacher who now ran a small shop in a low-income part of town. She was born in Kunming, but her father came from Yixi, and had worked all his life as a chef. Wang explained to me, Auntie Wang, Wang explained to me, that while visitors from Shanghai or Beijing think that they're enjoying Kunming snacks when they, when they arrive, when they come to Kunming, in fact, what they were eating was all from Yixi. She then told me that if I wanted to eat real Yunnan food, I had to leave Kunming uh, to, go, to go to all the, to the smaller county towns, the Dijou Xian, Dijou Um Other... Uh, other elderly Kunmingers described how, well into the 1950s, certain streets were dominated by shopkeepers from particular places in Sichuan, Guangdong, or within the Yunnan province, such as Yixi, and that people would go to these streets to get foods from these different places. 
uh, Kunming's history really, you know, since the 14th century or so, has been a history of different waves of migration. And this continues to be the case. Since the mid-80s, Kunming has attracted migrants from Sichuan, Guizhou, and from around uh, Yunnan. Migrants continue to, be prof- to profoundly shape the city's foodscape. Now, um, uh, Dai-style or Thai-style restaurants from the southwest, from Xishuan Bana in the southwest, have become quite popular among Kunmingers, as have restaurants from Guangdong and Sichuan. Sichuan cooks are in great demand in the city, even in restaurants that do not present themselves as being Sichuanese. Uh, the prepared foods for home consumption sold in the city's covered markets were typically sold by non-natives and marketed as such. In one covered market, I was chatting to a group of these vendors and asked why there were so many prepared foods in the market from Guangdong, Sichuan, and Guizhou, and Xishuan Bana in southern Yunnan. One Sichuan vendor replied, Kunming people can only eat, they can't cook. One old lady, who was standing in a long queue to buy Cantonese-style roast, roast meats, responded very angrily, We Kunmingers aren't that useless. is part of our Yunnan, isn't it? So she's making this conflation between Yunnan and Kunming here. So while some Kunmingers feel able to appropriate uh, foods that arrive in the city, and even all of Yunnan's foods, as their own, this confident and unified view of the city, similar to that presented in the Dien Cuisine campaigns, stood in contrast to the um, perception, frequently mentioned perception of the city, its foods, and its people's tastes as being miscellaneous, tsa, separated from ongoing histories of immigration. Auntie Wong's claim that one had to go to county towns to get real Yunnan food was something that I heard from a lot of people. For her, as for others, this was not only connected with their view that Kunming foods were too diverse to have any culinary identity of its own, um, but also with the perception that Kunming's foods had in fact deteriorated and quite rapidly in recent years. Their perception of loss was not some vague idea that things used to be better in the past. It was specifically perceived to have begun in the 1990s and was explicitly linked to two developments. The first was the rapid transformation of the food supply chain. Um, In particular, the intensification of food production methods and the lengthening of supply chains. These were widely perceived to have made foods more dangerous, less healthful, and less tasty. For example, locally grown leafy vegetables were available year-round and were seen by Kunmingers as a very mild climate Kunming, were sealed by Kunmingers to be an important part of their local foodways. Elderly people in particular complained about the increase in non-seasonal vegetables in the marketplaces. Eating vegetables in season was considered very important for tying people in to Kunming's temporal rhythms and maintaining bodily health. Often, leafy greens were boiled in broth or in water without flavorings and then served in the broth or water and with a side dip of spices. This method was, was meant to bring out the sweetness um, of the vegetable itself and to achieve a mouth-watering, a mouth-melting texture known in the, in the local dialect as pa. However, I was often told that vegetables grown with chemical fertilizers and pesticides and non-seasonal vegetables grown in plastic hothouses lacked taste and wouldn't become properly soft when cooked. Zhu pa. Mushrooms and other forage foods 
were certainly often described by Kunming friends as being natural, sometimes ecological and healthy foods. However, Kunmingers complained about having to go further and further away from the city to find any mushrooms of their own. A lot of people did enjoy foraging. Fish from Lake Tien, once an important part of the local cuisine, was no longer eaten at all, really, because of industrial pollution to the lake. That stopped, people stopped eating in the 1990s. Ironically, uh, that which was being most celebrated in recent state-promoted versions of Tien cuisine, its natural flavors and its ecological purity, was precisely that which Kunmingers perceived to be disappearing. Even Limonza, who, as we know, was an active participant in the recent campaign, claimed at one point in, in the interview that people were now eating more beef and more goat because pigs fed on industrial feed were seen to produce bad pork. The second development was the rapid transformation of the cityscape. For many Kunmingers, the outstanding feature of the city's food culture had been the variety of its snack foods. Many snack shops dated back, um, like that one, uh, many snack shops dated back uh, to before the revolution and had survived the radical politics of the 1950s um, to the 1970s. Um, that was, that was, uh, there were about two streets that still looked like that in central Kunming in 2008. And by 2009, it was impossible to access that part of the, of the, of, of the city at all. I mean, it was just a big construction site, so I'm sure that it's not there. Um, I'm sure that it's been moved somewhere else. Um, And also, um, from the early 80s into the mid-1990s, central Kunming came to boast miles and miles of busy night markets with an amazing array of snack foods. It was argued that these local snack foods were being lost as more and more snack shops, night markets, and street hawkers were cleared away following the broadening of the avenues and the government attempts to regulate and sanitize urban space in order to create a more modern-looking city. Parallel to the promotion um, of covered standardized vegetable markets and supermarkets, some of those. This is a, um, a, 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 a actually an illegal market, an informal. Um, an informal illegal market, which has um, been closed down, was closed down in 2009 um, in a working-class neighborhood. Um, parallel to the promotion of covered standardized markets, such as that one instead, um, and supermarkets like Trustmart, um, snack foods were increasingly moving away from the streets indoors and were being sold in fast food-style uh, restaurant chains and in food courts. And here, the Brothers Jiang, which is actually a formerly state-run um, restaurant, but now is a chain of, uh, of, of, of uh, kind of fast food snack shops that has, um, it has restaurants all over China now. Um, but it, it's a Kunming, Kunming, Kunming-based um, company. But people argued that these foods that were now being sold in, in, food, in food courts and in fast food-style restaurant chains, um, you know, they argued that it, wasn't, it simply wasn't the same. For elderly Kunmingers, the new places simply prepared foods incorrectly. According to Teacher Xiao, for instance, the style was right, kind of looked right, but the methods were simplified and the taste was not right. For people like Hu Luan, a journalist, uh, that's his, his nom de plume, but he's known by that name, a journalist born in Kunming 
um, even to his friends, in the 1960s, it was the physical appearance, experience of walking through the hustle and bustle of the night markets that had really made the food so good. Now, the meal um, Xiaohan and her parents uh, had served to me um, at Miaoyin was meant to represent Kunming to, to outsiders, so to an outsider. Um, but eating together, eating this food together, also gave rise to a discussion which was largely about loss. It was about a loss of food quality, loss of pickling habits, no longer making lufu, and a loss of these kinds of snack foods. Xiaohan and her parents were now living in a, in a residential neighborhood in the north of the city. Like many other families, they had moved from the city center as it was being rebuilt. Xiaohan recalled walking to school as a young girl along Jinbi Road in downtown Quiming with its French-style buildings, parasol trees, and above all, the fragrance of newly roasted Yunnanese coffee, Xiaoli Cafe, emanating from the cafes where her father and other men enjoyed um, morning coffee, had enjoyed morning coffee and baguettes introduced by Vietnamese entrepreneurs following the construction of the Kunming Haiphong Railway in 1910. Now, the um, food scholar Ayora Dias has recently pointed out in, uh, in relation to Yucatecan cuisine in Mexico that regional cuisines may undermine what he calls the monolithic imagination of the modern nation-state. This is to some extent true in Yunnan as well, where Dian cuisine is being used to re renegotiate the relationship between the core and the periphery of Chinese economic power by presenting the periphery as being more advanced than the core by virtue of its backwardness, by having preserved a cultural simplicity and ecological diversity that the core has lost. Further, as Ayora Diaz argues, the erasure of difference which occurs um, through making some culinary practices iconic, just typical of the national level, is also reproduced within regions. In the constructions of, of Dian cuisine, the diversity of Yunnan is celebrated, yet this diversity is selected and adapted by a largely Kunming-based elite. Attempts to create a modern identity for Kunming and Yunnan with the help of food were thus open to criticism. And this is apparent, as I mentioned, even among promoters uh, of Dian cuisine, who put forward various versions of that cuisine. Now, the tension between approaches to Dian foods becomes even more um, evident when the elite versions are contrasted with more popular practices and perceptions of cuisine. The anthropologist Li Zhang um, has written about the widespread uh, discontent felt in Kunming um, about the re rapid rebuilding of the city and the increasingly draconian regulation of urban space under the slogan of modernization. The construction of Dian cuisine is part of these projects. It was occurring at the very moment that popular street foods were being sanitized away from the streets and moved into upmarket Dian-style restaurants and into food courts. Kunminger's ambivalence toward the notion of Dian cuisine is arguably, at least in part, an aspect of the discontent that Zhang describes. The gap between Governor Chin's notion of Dian cuisine as being ecological and green, on the one hand, and Kunminger's descriptions, on the other hand, of a rapidly deteriorating quality of the food supply is striking. So elite projects to promote localities through the construction of regional cuisines may resonate with, draw on, 
and have a certain impact on more popular perceptions, yet such celebrations of regional foods may also fail to convince those whose foods are being celebrated and instead provide a focal point for the articulation of ambivalence and even critique of the broader modernization projects of which they form a part. Um, But these differences, I think, are more than about perceptions, but really also about different modes of imagining cuisine. Writing on e-minority nationality festivals in Yunnan, Eric Mugler contrasts the approach of the state, for whom dance was an object-like emblem of the E of Drudwo, to those uh, to that of participants, for whom dance in these uh, in these festivals forged affective ties between people through bodily engagements with particular places. Public performances of regional cuisines and identity in the official Dien Cuisine project involved above all the representation. They were about defining the iconic dishes and characteristic ingredients, cooking methods, and flavor combinations of the region. And they often articulated these representations with very abstract notions of biodiversity or modernity. Many of my friends also engaged in such practices of representation as was apparent in the dinner served in the Xiaochen household. Yet for Xiaohan and her parents, as for other acquaintances in Quimming, the connections between people and place through food were as much or more about the ways in which food was experienced in particular places and with particular people. David Sutton encouraged us to think about the ways in which the multisensory experiences of food may evoke powerful memories that reinforce bonds to particular places and relationships. Among Kunmingers, connections to the city were forged through the taste, smell, sight, sound, and touch of snack foods from street vendors and shopping in the city's markets, or of preparing, consuming, and sometimes picking fresh, tasteful foods at the right time of the year from the surrounding areas together with family members or friends. Thank you.